Walk in the spot and it's lights, cameras, action Well executed, I'm the main attraction Engaging vibes is where I wanna be Enchanting lights and smiles is all you see <laughs> So I ain't thinking about the next one Snapping pics, they be loving my fashion Great drinks, great friends, and it's flowing well It's a perfect event, shout out Riel another episode of the Riel's Events Podcast. We're a business podcast all about elevating boring events to enchanting engagements for your nonprofit organization, corporation, and small business. I'm your host, Riel Jones. I am thrilled about this week's conversation with my good friend, Tim Walden. We talk all about poetry slams, event media, event photography, and just solo photography, as well as side hustles, while you're keeping your nine to five. I think that this was a really great conversation. You'll definitely get to hear um, our friendship through this conversation. I laughed a lot. Um, And I think you'll also get a lot of great insight for hosting your event and dealing with media that you're inviting out to your event, as well as if you're trying to balance creating a side hustle that is event-related, and keeping your 9 to 5. Please, before you finish hearing this podcast episode, go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the podcast app, as well as leaving a rating on iTunes. This helps other people find our podcast. shows a little more visibility so that they can also enjoy the content on our podcast to help them improve their business events as well as just listening to some really great conversations. Now let's jump into the conversation with Tim Walden. Thank you for coming on the Reals Events Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. It's glorious to be here. I am so excited. I was joking um, with someone earlier. I think we're too young to have like work husbands, but you were definitely, like, my first work bae, so I'm excited for you <laughs> <laughs> to interview well, you. Well, thank you. You know, I, I'm just trying to keep myself together, you know, keep it going. Yeah, so I know we met, like, how many years ago? At least? Oh, man. It's about three now. Yeah, wow. Glide slowly into 2018. Yes, yes. So we met a few years ago. Um, working together, it was definitely a interesting experience for me. Um, a few episodes back, I actually talked about workforce discrimination and like current statistics. Um, and I also talked about why I started a dinner series called Incognito. Um, for me, the purpose is to help like really ambitious Afro um, professionals get together, talk about challenges that we, we find in the workplace, help each other um, op- um, locate new opportunities, as well as, like, mental health being a huge um, component around our dinners and around the topics that we discuss, really looking at mental health because my experience um, at the place we work together, it heavily impacted my mental health. And... Um, when I reached out to people at that time, a lot of people were like, you know, everybody deals with racism or discrimination. And, like, 
just pray it keep going on and that really it made it worse for me and it made me feel mm-hmm. like um doubt myself even more as a professional and as a person and stuff like that but I definitely um think of the positive things from that experience was working with you of course um like the fulfillment legend (laughs) (laughs) um thinking about the drake uh the drake cd was hot then when it came out um it yeah. was, it was. That was actually a fire album back then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Classic. Was so long ago. No, so, um, yeah, you definitely helped me through that period. And one thing that I that stuck out to me, which is how much of a true professional you are, um, and a professional like that has good character, I think that's something you don't find as often. You, you find, like, ambitious people or people who know what they want to do. But having that integrity and character is really, really rare. Well, thank you so much. I am just trying to be a good worker out here. I think. Thank you for saying all of that. You know, it's just I keep my nose to the grindstone. That's how I do it. I feel like if everyone would just do their thing, we would all be great out here. <laughs> right. Focus on the bigger picture at hand. Um so I know right now you're in Atlanta. We'll talk about some of the things that you're doing out there. But you're originally from Tennessee, right? I am. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, country music city. Yes, yes, yes. How <laughs> is it being in Atlanta and what um, brought you out there? Oh, man. So first of all, I love being in Atlanta. It's definitely the home that I chose. I feel like Nashville is like where I grew up and everything, but I chose Atlanta. Um, school brought me down here. Mm-hmm. Went to Emory University. Yes. I originally, you know, you know I'm trying <laughs> to be great out here. Lord, it was a blessing. Blessing, blessing for sure. Um, uh, I originally wanted to be a computer scientist, so I went for CS. Discovered I was horrible at it. <laughs> so changed to English, um, and that's really where my passion is. My, my true strength is in my writing. So uh, I graduated with a BA in English Literature with a concentration in Poetry. That took me to the corporate space where we met doing member services. Um, it's actually funny, well, not funny, but in, in a similar fashion, I left that same company mm-hmm. for very similar reasons that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just was a nesting bed for a lot of negativity. I left there, stayed in the same type of space, doing member services work, helping, you know, other companies really network and realize the true potential, and now I'm in the nonprofit space. And I am loving it because I am helping people um, who really need it, helping communities who need the time and attention, um, and it's fantastic. But I can say, though, my true passion is what I do outside the 9 to 5. Um, I stayed in Atlanta after I graduated college, not just because I needed a place to work, but please believe I needed money. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> But Atlanta is a hotbed uh, for entertainment right now. It is blowing up. It, it is. is. the black Hollywood. Yeah. And that is kind of the space I want to be in. So that's what kept me here. I know when you were at Emory, you did, um, like, poetry slams and all of that for the different college students. Um, can you talk a little bit about those events? Oh, man. Back in my bongo days, you know, <laughs> the patta, tit-tat, there's a Peter, there's a rat. Um, no, but seriously, I've, I've been writing poetry for a long time. Um, a lot of it used to just be verse poetry, but then I got to college and like, 
not even gonna lie, very cliche stereotypical, met up with a group of people who did, you know, like, slam, pre-verse poetry on the side, went, discovered I really like it. I don't know if you can tell, but I do enjoy talking. It is <laughs> what I like to do. Um, so a really nice outlet for me to kind of expand who I was as a person, really talked to a lot of other people. I ended up actually hosting a couple of poetry slams at Emory, and that was like, no, I'm going to get to see a lot of different writers and speakers and slammers. Um, it's good stuff. I love slam poetry and poetry in general because I feel like it is a true outlet for those of us who can do it to take those feelings that are hard to put into words and actually put them into words. Like, it, it's fantastic. That's all I got to say. Is there, like... So do you create a theme of the night, or do you just let people, like, do subjects kind of vary? Like, how do you kind of create a poetry slam so that it's not, I don't know, like, yeah, yeah, let me not. I feel like poetry slams don't have to be something that needs to be particularly planned. Like, for real, we once had a slam, we were like, all right, guys, today, at 6 p.m., we need the center of campus. Bring whatever it is you're working on, finished or not, we're going to hop on this mic and just go. Um, you know, if it's something that you have scheduled, like maybe at a little event, you know, a cafe or something. Right. Then, you know, typically you would have someone who is used to reading go up first um, to really kind of set the mood and tone to get everyone comfortable. So sometimes if that, you know, sometimes that person will open with a strong one. Yeah. to get you in your feelings. That way the people who were previously nervous are now inspired to go share something their own, and that's really the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah, I can dig it. So, like, what do you tend to write about? Oh, man, so you're trying to, trying to get into my diet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, wow, what do I write about? Um, I write about a lot of things, but, I mean, I guess if I had to choose only thing. Uh, like love, relationships, and then on the completely other side of the spectrum, I do like to get political. Mm-hmm. So race, um, the prison, the school prison pipeline. I mean, I, I like to kind of film where it hurts and say things that people don't like to say yeah. in their conversation. You know, what is political correctness? I just say what's out there now. Mind you, I am also very aware of my audiences, mm-hmm. and I'm not, like, just blithely saying whatever and, you know, calling really rude statements poetry that's not okay, you know. You do always have to be aware of what you're saying and who you're saying it to. But, like, I get real. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that. And, like, can I be honest just for a moment? Oh, um, I think when I first when I first met you and... um. I didn't, this was before I read any of your poetry, because I know you, you, at least you used to put your poetry on, like, um, Instagram and all of that. I was fearful (laughs) that you were going to be, like, one of those, like, hotel kind of guys that, like, really educated, but then, like, they use their poetry to get girls, and it's, like, a lot of cliches, but really you are gifted, um, and even from what I've read in the past, like, you can see the progression in your writing and that you take it seriously um, and that you do have a very, like, authentic voice. It is not just, like, 
I'm going to throw all these cliches together and make it rhyme and, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, thank you. I really try to avoid cliches as much as possible, although sometimes, and they are good, they're cliches for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just, right from the heart, short, long, whatever. That's what I encourage anyone to do, whatever their art is. I feel like you just got to take the time to just do it. No one, even if it's your passion, even if you love it and you're like, oh, man, I could do this every day, that doesn't mean you're going to be good at it immediately. You might love it, but you're not necessarily good at it. And so you have to work at your passion the same way you would work at anything to make sure you're always, you know, up in your game, leveling up. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you talking about um, when you had the um, a poem a day challenge kind of thing that you set on yourself to, like, help you improve you're like I literally even if I don't feel like it I will write something today you know and like oh, each yeah. day oh yeah oh this is that once and I once did a uh, 333 day challenge to write something every day sentence paragraph page whatever um I'm not gonna even flex I did not make it all the way through the <laughs> 333 days but I did get I did get to like day two hundred and something. But okay. I think I got like a new job or something. Life came around. Right. You know, I'm not gonna flex and be like, oh, I did it. No, I didn't. But it really <laughs> did help me get into the habit and the desire to write more. Right. Right. And that's so important. And um, the last episode we had Greg Wilson come on, and he talked about when he was around the roots, and um, one of the things Kamal told him was you have to just put in, like, thousands of hours into the craft that you want. He was, like, as a high school student, and went in, like, one year and out the other, kind of. But now as an adult, he's, like, I'm getting it. Like, when you really are passionate about something, you have to just fine-tune that, that skill or that gift or, you know, that passion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, like, you got to put in the hours. Even the best, like... The cliche story, once again, Michael Jordan, like, he, he didn't start out great. He was just in the gym practicing longer than anyone else. Exactly. You're part of the Office of Student Leadership as a STEER intern, going back to your Emory days. Um, what was that <laughs> like? <laughs> right? What was that like? Oh, wow. So, yeah, I worked for the Office of Student Leadership and Services. The whole purpose of being a student intern was to be the student liaison between faculty and students. So... A lot of the, you know, a lot of different schools, students feel like they're putting in these requests and they're just kind of throwing in, you know, throwing these requests into like some gray box. No one, list, no one is listening. They don't have a designated faculty advisor. They, they don't feel like anyone's actually going to do anything, you know, whatever's going on with the club. You know, people have requests, not just right. money, but, you know, like time, effort, spaces, blockers, whatever. Um, so the steer interns were in charge of making sure all the clubs and organizations on campus, of which there were more than 150, wow. um, got the proper resources that they needed from faculty now. It, it sounds super lofty and awesome, but I mean, the day-to-day really was just dealing with student organizations coming in and saying, hey, we don't have a faculty advisor. We have this awesome club idea. We just need someone to be paired with us. Going into the faculty and saying, hey, We've got this awesome club doing X, Y, and Z, who A, has the time, and B, has the interest um, to watch over this group. And I mean, it, was, it was fun. It was rewarding. It was nice to know that we were helping people do something positive with their time. And I feel like it really helped me 
hone my interpersonal skills, really figuring out, you know, how to have a conversation with someone and then taking someone wants, needs, and ideas and matching them up with someone else who was ready to fulfill those things. Um, and that's a skill in the business world for real. It's kind of what it is. later on. So I feel like it really was a strong foundation for me. It is. And like even um, as a professional, you know, and you're thinking about like, how can I connect someone? Just You hear someone like telling you, this is what I want to do or what I'm interested in my being the next thing in my journey. And you're, you want to connect to them so, to someone that you know. You have to be able to kind of think offhand, like, okay, people in that field or the personalities and stuff like that. And it sounds like that's something that you were doing back then, which for so many people, that's hard. They, they listen to, like, someone tell them, um, this is what I want. And they're like, okay, cool. I hope you find <laughs> that person to help you. <laughs> oh, man, that sounds so dope. Let me know when you make that happen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah. that's definitely a skill that, of course, you use in the business world, but also could be very awesome um, in a personal realm too. If Emory was different from for you um, as a student of color coming in, or was it kind of mirrored the high school you were at before? See, like, here's the thing. Um, Martin Luther King was a fairly diverse high school. Like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely can say I had a diverse upbringing, but you have to remember Nashville it's a predominantly white city, like noticeably so. Yeah. So coming coming to Emory University, it was everything was swapped because now in a city where there was noticeably more black people, but the school I went to was like distinctly white. Mm. So even though I was in, you know, Chocolate City, you know, it was me everywhere, in the Emory bubble, it was distinctly like, no, I am a black man on yeah. a white campus surrounded by white professors, white peers. I mean, I did have a class. I was one of maybe two African-Americans in the yeah. room and probably the only black man. So, um, I mean, it is an interesting experience knowing that I'm at this campus that's supposed to be fantastic for education, but, like, it's a whole other shark bowl inside of that. You know, the mm-hmm. social context of being a black man on this campus is very real. The looks you get, the way people talk to you, the way they assume you're not on scholarship or you're on one of the sports teams for real, even though this is, you know, the 21st century, that's still a right. thing. Um, it definitely shaded my experience, but hey. That, that's so real because, like, I know um, even for, like, the school I went to in Atlanta, a lot of the guys – that were there, that were African-American, were there because of sports. Like, they got recruited, basically, in high school to come to the school. So, like, you would definitely have the, a lot of the um, students of non-color kind of look at them and assume, like, and ask them, what sport are you going to play this year? Because, mm-hmm. and, and that and that can really affect, in my opinion, again, I'm not a black male, um, but in my opinion, that would really impact how I felt like you, like, other people saw me. <laughs> like, <laughs> if out the gate you're assuming I'm pl- here to play a sport or you- you're assuming that the reason I'm at this school is because I'm talented in that area, like, I don't yeah, know. We're, we're constantly impacted by the perceptions of others, you know. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we 
always have to live with this lived experience of how we want to be seen and how other people will see us. Right. That's so true. It's interesting because I remember um, right before you came in, um, when we worked together, I started, I want to say like a couple weeks before you, not too, too much earlier than you. And I remember everybody at first talking, like some of the leadership talking about how you went to Emory and like, you know, kind of this Ivy League background and all of that. And I remember like a lot of the people who are just above us, like associates, talking about how you're a hip-hop dancer and your bow ties. And the entire time, like, the emphasis on, like, what you wore really got to me because you are such an incredible, like, and brilliant person that it's like, really? Like, are you going to keep this going about bow ties when there is so much more substance behind this person than that? Or, like... When I met you, you never brought up doing, like, dance at all, like, you know, performing, like, arts or whatever. But that was the one thing that was, like, everybody talked about. And it's all, it just made me feel like, again, it's kind of pushing back into the ideas of what you can do, you know, like, being athletic or being a performer and stuff like that. And that's something we talked about on another podcast episode of, like, understanding what people might perceive of you, but then being able to create your, recreate your reality under knowing the lenses that other people are looking out of. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I feel like you definitely are doing that and have been doing that over the last uh, couple years with your podcast, The Sooth. And I think that it's just incredible what you all are doing with that. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Sure, sure. You know, I'll I'll give a quick shameless plug for the suit real quick. Yes, shameless. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I am a co-host of the podcast called the Suit. Um, for those of you who don't know, Suit very literally, you can look at the dictionary, means truth, reality, or fact. And on our show, we like to bring our audience to our speeches because everyone is seeking something, mm-hmm. um, a bit of the truth, reality, fact of what's going on in the world. So it is a podcast dedicated to allowing black businesses, entrepreneurs, artists, you name it, get the time and shine that they deserve, you know, on an all-black platform where they can be themselves. So often, uh, black men and women in America, corporate America or otherwise, have to put on a mask, you know. Mm -hmm. We're being interviewed and we're talking about our businesses and we're talking about anything. But on our platform, we want you to be your authentic self, talk about what you want to talk about, you know, talk about it in the way you want to talk about it and feel comfortable and you know, know that you have a space to truly be your best self and right. talk about whatever awesome, blessed thing you're doing. Um, <laughs> so that is the soothe. If you can't tell, I'm very passionate about it. Yes. Because I just enjoy, I enjoy hearing people talk about their passion. Um, it is just oh, beautiful to hear so many of us doing great things and actually you know, putting our money where our mouths are because, you know, black dollars are power. Right. <laughs> um, and that's what we do. So I have a co-host. My co-host uh, is a friend of mine. He's a Chinese brother. We've known each other for many years, like seven years now, maybe going on eight. Mm. Um, and he definitely is a strong, strong support. I had an idea, and I came to him, 
And he let me turn it into a reality. And so we get out in the street and talk to people, have a good time. And when we're not interviewing other people, we just have a conversation about topics that are relatable. So we're not just talking about, you know, the latest decision 45 has made. We're talking about what it means to be fiscally responsible and black in America, what it means to talk about sex in a positive manner, what it means to mm-hmm. have a good, healthy relationship with your spouse. Yeah. Those are the things we like to talk about because those are the topics that matter and will actually build our community, and that's what we're about. What's been your favorite interview so far that you've done? What has been my favorite interview? So I'm, like, torn because the favorite, my, one of my favorite interviews as far as people has been our interview with Kaya Lacey, who's one of my favorite artists. We managed to catch her serendipitously, like, out at a club somewhere. What? We were like, hey, we're going to email you. She was like, okay, cool. We were like, no, but seriously, email us back. And she did. So we got her on the show. That was fantastic, though. Um, I want to get her back. (laughs) I will say, content-wise, we also interviewed a woman who was a... um, Martial arts grandmaster, and now teaches self defense all women's courses. Uh, Odette Russell, she's fantastic. So, I mean, those are the two of my favorites, just because they were two very strong women who like are out here shining, doing their thing, and like not allowing, not allowing someone to know. And just, I don't know. Being when you talk to them, go listen to the interview with people, the Sue's, Odette Russell, Kaya Lacey. They are two phenomenal people. Two of my favorite um, interviews. I can dig it. I can dig it. Has your, um, like, idea of your show changed at all since you started? Or is it kind of, it's been the same as what you envisioned it to be? You know, like, did you pivot at all? Or are you? I feel like the essence, the soul of my dream is still there and going strong and mm-hmm. growing stronger. But... I didn't know how I was going to bring it from my mind into the world. So the structure is definitely something that I hadn't pictured, like our recording schedule, the fact that we literally have a homemade studio. Like, I didn't know how we were going to get any of this done. (laughs) Um, But somehow we made it happen. There have been bumps along the road. There have been times when we have gotten off schedule, times when we have gone months at a time without getting interviews. But as far as having conversations, about real issues and, you know, really allowing our audience to kind of steer the narrative because we do allow our audience, if they have a topic that they want to suggest, if you email us, it's up on Facebook and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that dream is still alive and it's going strong and that's what makes me happy. Uh, obviously, some, you know, change of the time, so we try to be as flexible as possible. I know that you all have been requested to cover other people's events, right? Yes, yes, we have. Thankfully, it's been really fun. And so, first, um, is there a couple like festivals or events that you can think of that um, you've covered and you were excited to cover them, and either they were really great to cover or they were kind of like, ooh, this was a struggle, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh man! Oh yeah, for sure. So. Two that come to mind. The first, I'll gladly mention one of my favorite covering, um, favorite events to cover is the Atlanta Jazz Festival. Actually. Okay. Yes, yes. 
I love me some jazz, um, and I provide the Atlanta Jazz Festival has. It's a great mixing of people and good food, good times. It's free, and they always have fantastic artists. So getting media passes to go and actually, like, not only do photography and videography work, but interview some of the artists who are phenomenal. Um, there's something about jazz artists. I don't know if, like, it's in their blood or what, but they're all super chill. They are. And, like, know, <laughs> they know how to drop a nugget of wisdom in, like, a heartbeat. And I'm, I was yes. Like, I <laughs> but as far as an event that was kind of like, Ugh, I won't necessarily name the event. But no. we're going to go. We were going to go cover a competition, and it was one of those times where, like, we didn't know what we were getting into. We had been recommended to our friends, and it was a credible organization. So we're like, okay, yeah, you know, we came prepared, and we got there, and it was like, just not at all what we were expecting. (laughs) (laughs) The event was less an event, more an awkward meeting, but you What I have learned is when you are covering an event for media, um, it's not your job to criticize how their event is, no matter what things you might be thinking in your mind. It is your job to make sure you cover it in a way that makes their event seem like the shit. (laughs) We found some people who, though the event was mediocre, you could tell that they were still into it because they loved the organization. Right. Yeah, we got some of them. We got some, you know, good coverage from multiple people to make it sound like, oh, man, it must have been a really big thing if they got multiple people talking. (laughs) (laughs) You talk to the organizer because, of course, the organizer is going to talk all about it and you get out of there. And that's kind of how you do it. You find a way to make the event look fantastic, even if it's not. You're taking pictures. You make sure you get the best tight shot of multiple heads you can and you get out of there. No background. No background. I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm sorry, because I'm envisioning this, and I can definitely, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry, too good. No, it is okay, I say all that to say, we enjoy doing events around the city, Um, (laughs) we just try to make sure, we try to make sure that no matter what it is, if it's five people or 500, we make it look good because if their event looks good, they'll ask us to come back and if it looks good from our, you know, if our viewers think it looks good, then maybe we'll get more viewers and that, you know, space will get more viewers. It's yeah. all about coverage. And at the end of the day, someone asked us to be there. So, you know, hey, we're going to make you shine. Now, I'm not going to, I might, you know, talk bad about you in my mind, but hey, <laughs> I'm sure you get some people to come back next year. I promise you that. Right, right. But I think, like, also um, in that vein, that's that's awesome that, like, y'all are go-getters and, like, making it positive and, like, getting quotes and stuff like that. But, like, on the nonprofit or, like, the organization side, it's also really important, I feel like, for them to be able to identify people who are good at speaking on topic and about, you know, the event. Um, because I went to this art show a while ago, and one thing about me, I will give you real feedback if you ask me. I don't care who asks me, I'll give you real feedback. And so, this guy 
I asked, I asked, I asked the question. There was um, a woman, a white woman, who painted part of um, the Detroit Riverfront. Now, just quickly, a little backstory: the Detroit Riverfront. Mm-hmm. They just been building it up to make it more like a tourist type of spot. Like you would want to come walk down, but there's also politics of like where they cut off that riverfront walk, you know, and like how far did they go? And so yeah. she was saying that in her painting, she's not from here. Um, she's not from Detroit. She's from another city, but she goes to school here. And she was saying that like in her painting of the riverfront in downtown Detroit, she didn't put herself in the mix. And I was like, but there's, there's already political background behind it, you know? And the fact that you didn't cover the area that was not great, you, and you literally stood at that line, and from that, from where she was, like, painting the picture, and you decided not to, like, that says something. And so then the journalist who was covering it wanted to get my feedback afterwards, you know? And now... I told him not to include my 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 criticism because I didn't want the article to be all about how they take into account Detroiters or whatever. But if the organization had more people ready that were positive and kind of like, you know, this is the overall message so it wouldn't have been drawn to that one artist and that one photo... Like, yeah. it could have saved them, and they could have had even better coverage. Um, I did read the article. It was okay. But you could tell that, like, it was hinting. It did hint at what my question was, but it didn't have me as a source. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like they should they should always also be ready um, and know really great people to talk to that aren't just representing those other organizations, right? Like, like you said, yeah. of course the organizer is going to be like, this was fantastic this was the best gala ever, or this is the best, like, whatever, ever. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> How do people tend to, like, um, get in contact with you? And, like, what's what way do you prefer for people to get in contact with you all um, to cover, like, events? So, um, a lot of our events thus far have been through, like, recommendations, um, you know, friend of a friend mm-hmm. or like an old colleague needs something done. Um, and a lot of them, uh, other ones come through our email. Our email address is therealsooth at gmail.com. But we have, you know, phone, we've got email, we have a website, www.therealsooth.com. We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram and Twitter at thesooth underscore. So like, we're out there. If you send us a smoke signal, phone call, email, whatever, text message, I promise you, we'll get back. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so we, we take requests from wherever. Um, no requests. We don't consider any requests too small or too great. We will come to the BET Awards if they'll have us. Yes. We will come to the local community center grand opening. You know, we yeah. want to be... Um, involved with as, as much as possible and if we get the time for it, we'll do it. If we can't be there in person, we, we do interviews over the phone. So, again, our email is therealsuit at gmail.com and we are always waiting. Literally, y'all, I have the email on my phone. So, <laughs> so ready. You're ready. <laughs> I love that. Ready. 
do you feel like, um, and I know this is probably more of a thing in Atlanta than, like, some other places, but I know, like, in Atlanta, people will hit you up via Instagram real quick. Um, but oh, yeah, I feel that's like definitely a thing. Yeah, but I feel like other cities, it would be looked at as like, this is not real. Like, yes, we can put information out through Instagram, but we're not gonna take requests from you know DMs seriously. Um, how do you feel about it? Um, well, we literally had a young woman. Uh, reach out to us on Instagram, and that led to us interviewing her on the show. So mm. because we because we are in Atlanta, that is a little bit more acceptable. Like I said earlier, like it really is an entertainment city. So, you know, some people actually feel more comfortable reaching out via Instagram because it still feels as a, like a neutral platform. It's not as personal as like a phone number yeah. or an email address just in case. You know, if we're doing advertisements on Instagram, there are bots out there, so they want to make sure you're real. Right. Because obviously once you verify the person's real and that the request is legit, you exchange numbers and it becomes a very normal exchange. So we're not bothered by Instagram, but I can definitely see how some people who are not used to it who are, or who are not in like an entertainment heavy space right. can be a little wary of Instagram. And you should be like for real. Bots and scammers are everywhere. Make sure you're double checking. <laughs> right. Malicious people are everywhere. You know, even That's if you so confirm it's a real person. Make sure you are meeting in safe spaces. Make sure you're verifying via LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever. But remember, all that can be safe. So just be cautious when, um, you know, people reach out. And we're always cautious when people reach out. But if it's on the up and up, we will get you on the show and we'll meet you in person. I can dig it. What's, um, and I, I tend to ask everybody this, what's an event faux pas that you witness as um, a guest and you feel like it might be common or it just shocked you? Like, how is this business or organization doing X, Y, and Z? Let's see. And then his faux pas that sticks out. Uh, I think a big one for me, um, since I've been like in the event space, not just in like my podcast, yeah. I've been like in the nine to five as well. A big one for me is when you have not done sound checks yes. and you know, you get up on stage, the event has started and your mic is going in and I'm not talking about a quick, like, you know, sound pop and then everything's back to normal. That's okay. Every mic has a little pop or something, but I'm talking about people get up there and it's crackly for five <laughs> minutes and they keep leaning back to the DJ about the levels and <laughs> people miss the first two minutes of the speed. And like, I know you know what I'm talking about. Yes. It's so terrible. Because I feel like it just affects the rest of you. Whoever is about to speak after all of that, no one's listening anymore. No one's taking me seriously. We're all like, how do y'all not have knives together? Even if they're not related to that organization who planned it. The micro is just a big one for me. It is. It is. like, And that that gets me. And that, and I've been on the other side where, like, I'm planning an event for, like, a smaller organization. And I get that budget can be tight. But, like, I'm someone who, like, I will try to save you as much money as possible. But on the other hand, there are some things you cannot, you can't skip or let go. If we have to pay a little bit more money to be able to come in the day before or earlier or whatever it is and have everybody use their mic and run through their routine, because, like, even if you know you have someone who walks, like, an MC and they walk around the room a lot, 
it's not okay just to test it with your singers. You have to let him or her do her little script and what she's nor or he going is going to do that day. So you can make sure everything's right. If you have lighting, make sure that's right. I've seen people um well, I've seen people get paid for lighting in really bright rooms where it's like this is not going to show up. You just spent yeah. hundreds so if not thousands of dollars for lights that are not going to do anything <laughs> because it's too bright in here. <laughs> anyway, you got to be careful. I, I think that if I, I found that as a saver, if things are going wrong, if you have these two things, you might just be okay. One, music. If you've got some good music playing in the background, mm-hmm. even if something's kind of going a little wrong, music, music saves everything in awkward pauses. If you have to go backstage, if someone is late, Play a little music, they'll be okay. And with that, thing number two, if you're allowed to have it, alcohol. Every yes. Time. Get someone a cup of, get someone a glass of wine or a glass of whiskey, and I promise that just bought you an extra twenty minutes to get your shit together. You know what? Wine sponsorships and alcohol sponsorships are one thing that I go for first. And one, um, I'm always building my um list of sponsors, like. Well, because in Atlanta and here in um, Detroit, so that's where I'm usually at. But I'm like, it saves events. It saves people, like, who mess up. I've, I've worked with nonprofits, and, like, they had leadership that were just not public speakers, and they went up there and bombed. But because everybody was good and tipsy, it became just a laughing thing <laughs> versus us actually, like, being like, oh, wow, this organization really does not care no one's with because for a lot of guests they don't realize that these events took nine to 12 months if not longer to plan they feel like you're professional it should just be perfect because you know you're a business or you're a nonprofit. they don't think about the human side of it but if they're good and like tipsy at least they're letting a lot of stuff kind of they're giving you a lot of benefit of the doubt Oh, yeah, you add a little cushion. So whenever <laughs> whenever there's an event with alcohol, I'm always like, okay, they know. They, they know. know. They know. I, I feel some kind of way. If I'm going to an event and it's like, especially if it's like networking or after work and you don't have anything for me to drink, I'm like, no, I'm looking at you. I'm looking. I'm giving you side eyes at this point. Like, this ain't real. This ain't real. This is not a real function. Um no. I think when I entered the corporate world, one of the biggest surprises to me is how much, like, for real, people look forward to that glass of wine at those type of events. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's, you always thought that, like, drinking at work events is a faux pas in of itself, but, like, I feel like now it's a lot more common for everyone to have at least a glass of wine or take that small glass and mix drink okay, but for sure the wine is, like, almost expected at a lot of these corporate events. It, it really is. I mean, like, I think the rule now for a lot of places um, is just not to have more than two glasses if you are representing the organization that's hosting or if you are a major sponsor at an event, you know, and, like, your company's, like, Home Depot and they're sponsoring this gala. Um, then a lot of times they'll try to make sure that their representatives aren't getting tipsy. You know, that like, because for them, it's still business. You know, it's an extension. 
Um, but you also like have guests that come and they really are from the community or they're part of like um, other organizations that are supportive and that can be a little bit more flexible. But definitely it is expected at this point. I've, I've gone to a lot of board meetings because like when you do events for nonprofits, you're always meeting with board and also like um, event planning committees, um, both, which can be a lot. Uh, but a lot of board meetings for the events, they expect wine there and I and that shocked me like I knew like our little like book clubs that kind of stuff like you know um some not a lot of book signings but like um private communities like they'll expect wine but I didn't expect like for us to be planning and you want a bottle like okay (laughs) (laughs) oh my bad I wasn't aware but And, and they want good wine, so that's something else. Like, I remember I almost died at this, um, this woman, she came in, and this, like, I was, I had to be maybe 21, and I was, like, um, working with this nonprofit, and she came in, and she was like, you know, they gave us barefoot, barefoot wine, and I'm sitting here, like, you know, I, barefoot shutter house. I mean, these are things that I've seen growing up as wine. What's going on? And she was like, no, the audacity. Like, we need, like, wine that's at least 90 points or higher. And so, again, like, when you go to different communities, especially, you have to make sure that you're bringing good wine. Um, that doesn't mean that it has to be really expensive. I found a lot of, um, especially when you buy it by the case, like, a lot of the wine shops will give you really great prices for them, but you yeah. do need to think about the type of wine. Cause I've been to art galleries and they've given me like some cheap wine. And now like, I, I feel stuck up for saying this. I feel snooty, but I'm like, Oh no. Oh, what are you doing? Cause I get a headache I mean, from it. Like it's not just, oh, yeah. yeah, no. Don't offend me. Like, if you either you do it or you don't do it. Either you pay five or, like, because, again, when you buy it by the cases and if you're a nonprofit, they'll a lot of times give you, like, really, they'll give you prices that look like the prices they bought for the bottles. And then sometimes they'll just go ahead and donate stuff to you. So you don't have to be on the let me get a bottle for $4 or $5 type of thing and, like, have people with their hands hurting (laughs) like just go ahead and and take the time and like talk to them they'll they'll set you right you know the money every time oh yeah worth the money every time yeah i wanted to ask you again about being um kind of media at different events and i wanted to see have you experienced um people like having pre-prepared like media kits for you ready for you like and like in this it would cover this is the event this is what I want you to cover or these are like the major speakers or something like that so we haven't had we have dealt with media kits but not media kits where it's like this is what you have to say Mm -hmm. um we've dealt with events where it's like 
here's the media kit, and it literally was some posters that you could use, some public pictures in case you wanted to um, put a cover on your articles. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Best places to best places and times to catch the artists that you want to see your cover. Yep. Yep. Um, but a lot of what we have to do is free range as far as what we're writing. And obviously, every every place you go, they're asking you not to say anything slanderous. That's you know number yeah. one. But we haven't had anyone ask us to theme what we're saying or doing in a particular direction. Um, if it's public domain, if they've given us pictures to use, you know, go as we will. And as long as we have our passes, when we take the pictures, those pictures are ours type of deal. Um, so that's, that's about it. Nothing too extraneous. Yeah. We have dealt with, like, media coordinators. But, I mean, as long as you are where you're supposed to be, like, listen, listen to the media coordinator. Wherever they say you can go is where you need to be. Unless you have the gift of gab to get in the uh, the restricted areas, just be where the media coordinator tells you to go. I like that. And that was something, because, like, I know a lot of times when I'm working with organizations um, or smaller businesses that haven't done major events yet, they don't think about doing the media kits for press. But um, that's something that I... I try to push them into making sure that if, like, me and my team don't do it, that someone on their team is doing something, or at least a one-sheeter about um, the event, or, like, because you don't know where to go, and, like, I've been at events where they literally, like, okay, your media, I checked you off the list, have fun, and it's like, I, like, <laughs> like well, and you miss the main stuff. Time, like, well, come on. <laughs> You know, and you can miss the main things by not knowing where stuff is supposed to happen. Like, you, I guess we'll think that you'll just figure it out. Or sometimes they might have a volunteer up front. And so they don't really know what, what to do next after just signing you in. Yeah, but that's something, like, I try to talk to people a lot about is, like, Treat the media right, but also you have to give them direction with your media kit. So, like, they have a gist of what's going on, and they're not just... Oh, yeah. You have to try. I feel like when you're thinking about an event and where you want media to go, like, just kind of treat them like a, a separate subsection of your audience. Like, just, like you said, a one-pager is fine. I mean, we're not looking for, like... A detailed map and schedule of exactly where we know we don't need all that. Literally, just like if there's a stage, if there's a certain size we want us to be on, if we have five, ten, or fifteen minutes at the beginning of the performance, like for instance, jazz festival, they don't want you taking pictures for the whole performance. But every artist who gets on stage, you get the first ten minutes to take as many shots um, as you can. They get two people in the front so that way you're not blocking the whole crowd. But I mean. Some, something like that needs some sort of direction so that way they're not swarming and ruining your event because you might get some media people who are very selfish and will block other people and will almost kind of impact your event because you can tell them where they could go. So definitely good to have at least a little direction. That's how the cameraman used to be at my old church. He would block everything, the whole <laughs> service, <laughs> to get new angles <laughs> for broadcasting. Yeah. I'm not caring about who's really there. It's all about the shot. All about my shot. <laughs> when I was an intern in D.C., they they messed up by giving me the camera. Mind you, I've never taken classes or anything like that. I would be all in people's faces like, it's okay, keep talking. 
<laughs> I didn't care. I was. It was all about my, you know, the shot, and that's not really good practice. Um, what are some things that you've learned being out there in the field, either having a podcast or covering events as media? I have learned a couple of things. One, you'll be surprised at how much power you have when you have a camera in your hand. So don't be afraid to just ask someone for a picture. Like, it's so much easier, especially at an event where people know there are going to be photography. Like, it's, it's okay to tap someone and say, hey, can I get a quick picture? But don't just, like, surprise them. That's what people don't like to be surprised. They do like to be asked. 90% of the time, they will say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned kind of like, if you're media, and this is when we're doing our podcast, and I might do photography on the side, so when I'm doing my photography, like, it's not my job to be the attention. Matter of fact, it's my job to be as unseen as possible. That's why you'll see at 99% of events, media always wears all black, because you're not really supposed to be seen. You know, you take your pictures, you try not to block anyone, get your good angles when you can, but, you know, don't talk all the time, don't pull out your phone a lot. The one thing about being media is like, yeah, you put out your phone to take pictures and stuff, but you can't get distracted. A lot of times we have a limited amount of time to get these shots that people are paying me for. So focus, get the shot. I put my, you know, I put my phone in airplane mode during shoot because yes. I don't even want my stuff to ring. You know, little things like that will save you, you know, a missed moment, a faux pas, ruining mm-hmm. a video, you know, video. Like there are some things you can't take back. So just make sure you're very mindful. I, even like wearing soft shoes. Yes. So that when you have to go onto hard floors, you're not click clacking everywhere. Like these are things media has to think about. Yes. And like bringing, I had one person who didn't have enough storage on his SSD card or whatever. Like whatever you call it. Where, oh, yes. Don't try that to is, figure out how you're going to make glad room. You said that. Thank you. Bring extra memory cards. Like, I always have at least two in my bag because you just never know. There's nothing, especially with digital now, it's not like, you know, you really had to save your film back in the day. But now with digital, you can click, 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 click. Mm -hmm. So the worst thing you want to do is be on an all-day shoot thinking, okay, I'll make it with this one card. And then you get halfway through the day and realize you've gone through it already. Mm -hmm. Have the extra storage. Yep, yep, I'm here for it. And then my last question, um... And I asked this for uh, quite a few reasons. Uh, once also because you're in Atlanta and we're known for flexing. Um, but it's real out here. And while you have your passions and you're definitely um, creating really great brands, um, you also have to work too. Like how do you balance working and your passion? <laughs> um very carefully is how I do it. Mm-hmm, so, like, I feel like it really is, it's a delicate balancing act in that um, I treat my nine-to-five almost like a separate persona. When mm-hmm. I go to work, that is how I, that's the main way I pay my bills. So no matter what, I need to make sure I keep that persona intact. So I'm very professional. Like, even though I know I have a separate business on the side and the podcast and all that, like, if it's for my job, I tend not to mention it. Only like maybe one or two of my coworkers even know that I do it. Not because I'm ashamed or anything, but because that's not important. I don't want, you know, my nine to five life to interfere with that. So I you know, keep it very encapsulated. But in the same way, when 
five o'clock ends or six or whenever I start to get home. That is my time. The weekends, those that's my time. So mm-hmm. I make sure to do work I can. I read a really interesting article maybe, I don't know, six months ago, not too long ago, talking about how too many of us spend our um, our free time doing idle relaxation. And so it feels it never feels like we're actually getting anything accomplished because you know we're just watching Netflix, we're chilling, which is good. You need that time, but you should also have active relaxation, and that's typically where your hobbies come in, your passions. And so I was trying to say like, if I just had a weekend of binging a show, Stranger Things just came out, I was watching it. So this weekend I made sure to schedule a shoot for Friday, and I was going to do some editing um, on Saturday. Like I I I enjoy doing those things. But it does take time. Like we were talking about earlier, you've got to put in the man hours. So if I know from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, I'm not going to be free. That means evenings I need to be working, Saturday, weekends I need to be working. And uh, But it doesn't feel like work because it's my passion. That's the best part about it. Even though I am doing something actively, I just really try to make sure that when I'm out there in the field doing the podcast, I'm not talking about my 9 to 5 job. Like I said, separate persona. I'm introducing myself for me what I want to do, and those contacts that I make are going to be separate from the ones that I make while under the guise of, you know, my normal job. Exactly. Like I said, it can, it can be a lie, but it's, it's doable. Yeah, it is, it is. And I feel like, you know, especially like our generation, um, a lot of times because we are li- living like for the gram and whatnot, people might, there's no shame to, to like the fact that we have to pay our bills. Like we do other stuff too. You know, um, and I, and that you don't have to flex and be like, from the jump, from the moment I said I'm going to do podcasting and photography, it just all happened magically. Like, no, like, this is real. You're building something. And it's great that people are supporting you, but at the same time, like, there's steps that you have to take. It's a ladder. It's not just magic overnight. You think it, it happens, you know? Um... Have you ran into, like, any frustrations as you've been building your brand and um, developing your business and podcast? Oh, yeah. I think the biggest frustration I face, many of my co-hosts talk about all the time, um, is, is time. The biggest frustration is time and the expectations that we set for ourselves. Like, we set this lofty goal, which may be achievable in the long run. But you don't really realize how long that run is. Yes. You want it now. I want acknowledgement now. I want customers and clients now. But, like, it just doesn't work that way, sadly. Like, I want to get paid all this money right now, but it doesn't work that way. Sometimes i got to pick the small gig. i got to pick the party. You know, i got to work my way into the right circle so that I can get to the richer events, the nicer events, so I can get the shoots with Vogue and Al and Ebony. You know, it takes time, and I think, as we do our podcast, and we're like, oh, man, why isn't Obama asking us to be on the show? Right, like, come on. <laughs> you really have to just give yourself the time to say, well, dang, okay, we've got to build our base, we've got to build our brand, we've got to make sure we have, you know, enough credibility. And this is when you really learn to take advantage of the grassroots, take advantage of the local network, take advantage of the friends and family who are supporting you. And when I take advantage, I mean really utilize what they're bringing to the table and try your best to make sure it is a mutually beneficial relationship. Like, it's all about the give and take. I've definitely done a few shoots for free 
But then those pictures that were phenomenal then got me some airtime to do a paid gig. Like I right. showed a coworker recently some shots that I did for one of my friends completely for free. And man, it was a long shoot. Yes, so I'm going like, to hit oh, you man, up. Oh, man, these are fantastic. We're doing a 30 under 30. Would you mind doing that shoot for us? Yes. So, like, it's all about that give and take. You just got to be willing to put yourself out there. If you believe that what you're doing is worth it, it's what you love, and that you actually have that spark of talent, then understand, like, it's going to take some time. It might happen overnight. It might happen overnight. You might get that one shot seen by that one person with one million views. Or it might take, you know, 100,000 people seeing it over the course of the next three years before you get that. But if you get it, it's phenomenal. I just read literally yesterday on Instagram a little meme that was like, just remember, at 23, Oprah lost her first job. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Right. Let me stop <laughs> tripping. <laughs> you know, not to, not to compare myself to Oprah or anything. I'm just saying success takes time and that it doesn't always come when you might want it to come. You know, and that's so true. I was talking to this young man, um, and he, he he's still, he's like a junior in college or whatnot, and he was tell, telling me how he wants to work for Facebook. He's, like, um, doing all this software engineering um, and all that kind of stuff, and that's not my my area. But I, did, I do know, like, going to, like, schools that we go to, one thing that is clear is, the ability to network and uh, kind of like what you're doing as a steer intern of connecting people to other people for them to figure out how to make their dream happen. And so I was like, I know some people who are software um, engineers at Facebook and um, Instagram and that kind of stuff. And I know a couple of them are pretty high up. I can connect you and introduce you to them, but I, I started having to, like, also be, like, this is how you approach people on the other end of it, and the follow-through, and, like, just because we make that introduction, yes, they might, one of them might help you in getting, because he wants an internship for next summer, like, one of them might help you with that, but there's a bigger picture you're trying to do, and that's trying to build a relationship with that person, so that they think about you, and so I was, like, don't think of it as a overnight snap your finger. My goal of getting this internship is done. Think about it in the long run of like emailing them once a month or every six weeks about how you read X, Y, Z and you know, in your field. And you're thinking about that so that they can see that you have a personality that you're thinking about the things that they're working on or something kind of related so, like, you're more than just someone gave you gave them your name and said that you're smart. Like, you have to build on that. And, like, I think being a few years out of college, this is something that I'm grasping, which I probably did not – I probably didn't want to hear that when I was in college. Like, nah, <laughs> nah, it's going to be quick. <laughs> you know, I put my name out there. I'm smart. I've done all this. And, like, no, you got to think about the long run. It's not a sprint. And I hate it when people tell me that. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Like, dang, it really is, though. <laughs> no one wants to hear that, but, like, it really is. It really, really is. My my last question, 
before um, I let you go, how is it working with your best friend or someone like you've you're, you've been really um, good friends with? For me, it is pretty fantastic. Um, like we are very close. We are, you know, he's definitely one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we're frat He brought me into the frat, you know. So wow, we know each other very well. Um, and I feel like it's one of those moments where working with your friends or family is either going to go one or two ways. Either you're going to gel and it's going to be a lot easier than you thought, or you're going to realize, like, damn, when it comes to working with this person, I do not like this. <laughs> it's going to be rocky and bumpy. You know, just because you're friends does not mean you're going to work well together. But luckily we have, um, I won't say similar personalities, but we have similar thoughts on the things that we're talking about. When it comes to helping our community, when it comes to being positive about, you know, almost anything, when it comes to making sure we bring out the best in conversations with our guests, we agree. You know, there are definitely moments when I can tell he needs an assist and I'll come in. There are moments when he can tell I don't really know what I'm doing and he'll jump in and for the person we're talking to, they really can't tell the difference because he has that synergy. So it's been phenomenal and great. I'm blessed. I feel like even the topics that we choose, we always are kind of on the same thought pattern. But there are moments when we don't agree on whatever whatever it is we're talking about. But sometimes that makes for a good topic because we still can agree to disagree on things and that mm-hmm. makes for good discourse. And ultimately that's what you want. I can dig it. I can dig Wait, wait. You you have the Black Boy Joy project <laughs> that you're working on. Yeah. Okay, tell me about that. So, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm going to let you go. Wait, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, not yet. Um, so actually, the Black Boy Joy Project has morphed into something a little bigger than that. But so yeah, I started um, like a little photography project for the Sioux. Um, Like I said, I do photography. Um, my co-host does like a lot of the spiritual and yoga side of things. He's a certified yogi. Um, so I was like, man, I really want to just capture um, Black Boy Joy, like Black male positivity. I'm, I'm one of those guys who I can say, like, I recognize that the patriarchy is a bia. Right. And, is, and toxic, toxic masculinity is a very real thing. But part of that is that we don't have enough positive male images to show our youth. And so mm-hmm. I just want to do positive male images um, in their natural state, doing whatever it is they love to do. But then, like, I'm not going to lie, I was taking pictures I just love black joy in general. I, I'm one of those people. I just love being black. I love my melanin. I love <laughs> Keep it I, being black is probably the greatest blessing I could have been given by God. I, I love it. It gives me strength. And so now we're just taking pictures of black people doing what they love to do. It's just black joy in general. You know, black women, black men, black children. Playing, loving, laughing, eating, whatever. Um, and it's something that I, I plan on releasing in the middle of, like, next year, I really want to get a nice size portfolio. So, to anyone listening, if you want to be a model and you're in the Atlanta area or somewhere close by, I'll go to Chattanooga. I'm from Nashville. I'll take a trip up to Nashville. <laughs> um, please send me an email at therealfoodatgmail.com. And it doesn't have to be anything special. You don't have to be photogenic. You don't have to be a model. 
Um, I plan on getting pictures of my mom, aunts, and uncles when I go home for the holidays. Yes. Because we just need more black positivity. Think about all the images consumed, that your family consumes, that your children consume or will consume when you decide to have them. And think about how many positive images they could be seen. You know, I just want to add to the strength of positivity. So that's it. I'm here for you know recently I um saw and I I'm I'm can't think of the name of it but it was like a kind of like a startup company and they're trying to do soft photos of black people like doing anything and everything. Oh yeah. Um, I'm actually trying. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm trying to get involved with them. Um, I was recommended to join their little database via one of my coworkers, actually. So, yes, I, I can't remember the name of it either, but, yeah, we do need more black stock photos. It's not something you realize, but there are not a lot of black people in stock photos. I definitely realize it trying to do invitations and flyers when we don't get to do actual photo shoots before the event. So, like, I was like, this is a great idea because it can help even some of the local community um, functions have even nicer, cleaner images and um, advertisements going out there so everything doesn't look janky or everything doesn't look like to, like, yeah, we found this off the internet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yep, yep. just to find the right fit. Mm-hmm. But my only thing was, like, and I know it's because it's a startup, their prices was just insane right now um but i it's something that we definitely need it's something that um is missing and i want to support them whenever i can but like right now it was kind of pricey um but if i had like a big event it would be fine do you ever get like people like so for me i know i want to do another photo shoot soon but i'll get a lot of male photographers who a, are in this point where they love, like, I'm natural. Now, I know, like, when we used to work together, I always, like, had weaves or had my hair straight. But I've been natural. Um, and I get people who pick me because of that and because, like, I have, like, a really thick, like, kind of fro going coming in, I guess. So it's kind of <laughs> giving you that, like, 70s. Also, old man feel nostalgic um, when they get around me and my hair. But that's a whole nother topic. Um... They like it for the 70s, but they also, like, always want me to be very, like, smiley and whatnot. And right now, I feel very, like, direct and boss and maybe, like, masculine energy. Not like, I I don't feel like a male, but, you know, I feel very boss-like. And, like, do you ever, like, cover, like, photograph people in ways that, like, perhaps are not the normalized way for, like, their gender? Because everybody wants to be, like... Do the hands on the face and smile. Look off to the corner of the room kind of thing. And I'm like... <laughs> well, first of all, there's, there's nothing wrong with looking up to the corner of the room. Those are classic shots. you got to defend that That's one. fine. But, but it, like, I don't want comes, to... When it comes to, like, <laughs> shooting... I know exactly what you're talking about. There are a lot of guys who don't know how to shoot a woman in a way that's not like... I'm not going to say community, like... Women have such power. When I, when I photograph women, I try to make sure that every shot I take is not just like, oh, give me a smile, show some eye, like, oh, slink the shoulder, touch the arm. Right. Like, <laughs> shots, whatever. 
But not everyone wants to do that. It might not fit the outfit. It might not fit the location. It might not fit the woman. Right. And to me, photography should not be about trying to, like, find some special pose. Photography, when it's just you and another person doing portrait work, is all about making, finding that person when they're most confident. Finding that person when they forget that they're even at a photo shoot. Like, I yes. try to make sure I talk to the person that I'm photographing. I get them comfortable. They want to listen to a certain song or style of music. Like, get them comfortable and let them know. Like, if this is a shoot where you need to be exhibiting power, let them know. Like, think of yourself as, you know, the CEO running your company. Think of yourself as a boss. You know, whatever. Just make sure that you're accentuating what they want as opposed to trying to fit them into a box. I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. So often. So And it's frustrating. And then, like, you second-guess yourself or, like, I had the something kind of similar to the same vein of, like, we're doing this photo shoot and the guy wanted me to, I'm trying to think of the term, not frolic, like, frolic through the the field, you know, and I'm sitting here mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm kind of goofy as is. So like me trying to do that was like, is it a skip? Is it a tour? Like, what are you asking me to do? Like, he's just like, you know, just lady like frolic, just frolic, and I'm I'm sitting here like I have no idea what he's trying to do. So they were painful. Like those pictures were so painful to look at. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know, know what, know who and what you're doing with, like, I mean, everyone has a different personality type. Of course. If you have a person who's slightly awkward, like, you've got to know how to pose them or how to direct them in a way that accentuates them in the natural state. Like, instead of not, like, not everyone can do a really good standing shot. Some people feel more comfortable when they're chilling, like, on the floor, in a chair, you get them on a stool, you know, you get them from the side, you find where they feel comfortable and strong and then try to like emphasize that. Or I'll look at a shot, show them something, they're like, oh yeah, or I'll see a, an angle that I thought was really good and I'll try to keep them in that moment. Or, yeah. You know, you just, you got to work with what you got. You can't keep trying to put people in a box. You, know? you can't, you can't, like literally I was looking at um, this website for an organization. I don't work with them, but like I was just looking and I went through, like, the leadership, and I fell out of my seat laughing. It looked like this guy had this, like, this grimace, you know? Like, it was, like, painful for him to smile. I'm like, who let him do this? Like, just don't smile. Like, this is so painful, and it's, like, the worst smile I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> the fact that it distracted me from everything else, the research that I was doing on this organization says a lot like the photographer should let him stay natural you don't have to do it pull it back you know um because you don't want i just don't have me out here looking crazy don't let some random person find this picture and get their life laughing at me and i not even mean for it to be a funny pic no no that's it so if they want to be, if you want to be on the soup, or if you have an idea for the soup, you want to talk soup things, business, or whatever, you can reach us at therealsoup at gmail.com. Again, that's therealsoup at gmail.com. And uh, our website is therealsoup.com. You can find us on Instagram, 
Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that at Jesus underscore. If you need some photography done, you just kind of want some shots, portraitures, um, headshots, whatever, and you're in the Atlanta area or somewhere um, in like a 50 to 100 mile radius, you can send me an email at dvwaldenmedia at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram if you want to see some of my work at dvwaldenmedia on the gram. And that's how you can get in touch with me. I want to give another special thanks uh, to Tim Walden for coming out and joining us on the Reals Events Podcast. If you are in Atlanta and you have an event coming up, please make sure that you do reach out to the sooth, uh, to Tim, and have him come out. He's a phenomenal writer with an awesome platform. Or if you have a photo shoot that you need for an event or for personal reasons, um, I definitely would also reach out to him. I know I'm going to next time I'm in Atlanta to get some updated headshots. And last, I want to thank you all. I really want to thank you all for listening to another episode of our podcast, for the great feedback and support, for sharing our podcast with your, your friends and your family and even coworkers. If there's anything you want to talk about in future episodes, please write me at info, I-N-F-O, at com. R-I-E-L-L-E-E-V-E-N-T-S.com. If you need any event planning help or management help, please reach out to Real Events. That's my business. We're so happy to help you uh, just create an enchanting event. And last, I want to ask one more time that before we go, you go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the Apple Podcast app. And if you haven't rated us, please go ahead and do that. It just helps us with visibility and making sure other people can see our podcast too. Until next time, Sai Jian.